0: Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today we have Arthur, and I think you go by Art. Is that the case?
1: Either one's fine. Art
0: Haglund. And you were recently on a debate with Matt Slick that I found very interesting. So I just had to have you on. It was a good exchange, especially the first about hour of the exchange. Uh, do you want to just kind of give us uh, some background about who you are, tell us about yourself, your theological background, and then talk about a little bit how you got roped into this debate with Matt Slick.
1: Well, uh, I was born into a Lutheran family. went to a Lutheran parochial school for the first couple of years of my life. I left Lutheranism over some things that I found not in the, the Bible, like a real essence in, in communion and, and uh, baptizing of babies. And I figured, you know, if they're doing that stuff, that's not in the Bible. What else are they doing? And that kind of started me on a on a journey. I left there. I, I went to a Methodist church for a while. I I ended up falling in with a Calvinist Baptist church for quite a while. I, I bounced around, went through the Word of Faith heresy, went back to a Calvinist-leaning independent church. I started doing a bunch of reading about how the chapter and verse things came about, started reading the Bible, removing the chapter and verse things. And so much of this junk, uh, doctrines, and dogmas just melted away. Um, I've been doing a lot uh, over the last four or five years of uh, of arguing against uh, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, doctrines, and Calvinism. I've done uh, quite an extensive bunch of uh, writing. It's almost all posted on my Facebook uh, notes section, I published self-published uh, booklet, uh, it's on Amazon.
0: Do you, well, g- you got the name of that booklet?
1: Uh, An Indictment Against Calvinism.
0: All right, excellent. And so if any reader reader or listener, they want to go check that out, Amazon.com? Yes. All right.
1: And, uh, well, I've been uh, going after James White for quite a while, uh, to the point to where he blocked me off all of his social media. <laughs> and uh, then Matt Slick came on a Facebook page that uh, was Christians Against Calvinism and OSAS and started posting a bunch of, hey, you anti-Calvinists, hey, you anti-Calvinists. And he did a real good Pharisaical uh, imitation there of the Pharisee and the publican. I'm going to be doing this. What are you guys going to be doing? I'm better than you. (laughs) And uh, so I just lit into him. I've watched many of his debates, and he's a bully. And I just decided I kind of had enough. I went after him really hard. He posted something on Romans 9, and then two times, suggested that I wouldn't even read it, that I was a coward and why to he deal with me? And then after seven times asking him if he read my note on Romans 9, uh, he finally answered and said that he hadn't read it. So when, And the, the hypocrite, Matt Slick.
0: Yeah, that's pretty typical. I kind of noticed that and how Matt Slick operates. I mean, I always see these CARM links that people post and I always just kind of cringe. And I got a series of articles that I've written against Matt Slick, particularly just because he is a bully, he uses logical fallacies. One one conversation I think is particularly telling is he's engaged with the open theist. And what he's looking to do is he's just trying to get the open theist to say the words, just this phrase, God makes mistakes. And it's a semantic move. And the yeah. open theist doesn't believe that at all. And he's just trying to force him to say that little small phrase, so then he could have a got you soundbite. And it's so... It's so slick, I guess, dishonest. His name is very fitting.
1: Well, I've taken to calling him the cowardly lion, Matt Slick. <laughs> or Matt not so slick.
0: Yeah. So Will Duffy, he's a friend of mine, and he's going to debate Matt Slick on open theism. There's going to be two debates. And so I joined this Bible-thumping wean nuts group. And the first thing that I encountered basically was, well, there's, there's some threads that I participated in. And then there was also your debate. And I turned on your debate, and you treat Matt Slick how you should have in the debate. So people have been coming down on you saying that you were too harsh with him. Is that the case, that you've been getting some pushback? Yeah,
1: yeah. Even, even people on what, in in quotes, my side, which the Calvinists typically call Arminian, even though I'm not, thought that I was really really mean and well you should have been like christ I said, my response is you do know christ patiently made a whip and then whipped these people i mean he wasn't cracking in the air he yeah. was whipping them over the cables and, and they
0: called them snakes and vipers yeah you know
1: and uh as i brought up several times in the debate or prior to the debate uh the golden rule treat people as you want to be treated matt treats everyone that way therefore he wants to be treated that way he can't then cry about it afterwards
0: yeah, so I engage in a lot of uh, debates, and this, this is a move that particularly intellectually dishonest type people they gravitate to. They want to get the other person and they want to put them in some sort of position of humility or a position under them where they are coming off as the more collected person and the other person is inferior to them. And that's what Matt Slick tries to do to you in this debate. And so, if we look at the point in the debate where the debate really picks off into this uh, petty back and forth almost, where Matt Slick is trying to use verses against you, saying, oh, you should be more Christ like and stuff like that, you know, that's all emotional appeal to things that you're not even there to debate. And he's trying to do this. And what kicks this off, and this is hilarious to me, is you asked him what verses he was turning to to make an argument from. He's, he's going to read some verses. You were going to follow along. You didn't know where he was turning. And he said, is that John? And then he says, don't interrupt me. He, he, his, his escalation was based on you asking him where he is turning, which is yeah. just incredible to me. And so that's why it signals to me that this is just a, a move, a debate tactic where he's trying to push you into a position under him, where you're subservient to him, basically, and you're the one who has to grovel, and he's, he's the wise mediator, you know? And that's what he's going when for. I,
1: before the uh, debate, on the day of the debate, I posted, I think it was on, on my profile, eight things that I expect to happen, uh, one of which was he was going to claim that he didn't know we were going to debate John 6, <laughs> um, and that he was going to do things and accuse me of doing what he was actually doing. Now, topic was John 6, and that had been established for 10 days, the mm-hmm. only thing that was on the Facebook page that he was on, and it's the only thing that I told the uh, Bible-thumping wignets through email, John 6. When we got there, uh, he arrogantly thought that he only needed three or four verses. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't want to deal with the whole thing. Then, instead of dealing with John 6, he went to Ephesians, and he went to Galatians, and he went to Romans, and he went to the Old Testament. He was bouncing around everywhere except John 6. Yeah. And then he accused me of, well, you're bouncing around the chapter. Um, yeah, it, it's John six, and so I'm dealing with John six. There's there's more than three verses, Matt. And, the,
0: and here's the funny thing: you use parallels. Okay, so there, there there's things you could do when you're debating. You could use verse trumping, like uh, if I say, "Well, God changes all the time. God responds to people and stuff." People could try to verse trump. They could say, "Oh, Malachi three six. God doesn't change." Okay, you you're trying to verse trump. That doesn't address my proof text. You have to reconcile these verses somehow. One doesn't just trump the other. But what you were doing was something different. You were drawing parallels. You're saying, look how John uses this phrase in this chapter, in this chapter, and this chapter. In these chapters, there's it's not these Calvinistic understandings that you're using over in this first chapter. So you are drawing parallels. You weren't even trying to verse trump. And what Matt Slick wanted to do with his bouncing around is he wanted to make universal points, that kind of reinforced his point. It wasn't textual critical. He wasn't looking at the text to see how the text is being used. He was just trying to build a proof text argument.
1: Well, I call this, and I've coined the term, verse theology. And what they do is they take, if they can find it between this number and that number, it becomes a Lego block. (laughs) And it is taken as a standalone, context-free doctrinal statement. And they disassemble the Bible, like it's a box of Legos, and then they, they pick out their favorite ones, and then they build a little doctrine out of it. And, well, this one is uh, uh, Ephesians. Well, faith is a gift right there. And, and and I just go on. It doesn't really matter the context of anything. And, and I tell people, if you take it out of context, then actually it was something never, ever said. Mm-hmm. Because everything was said in a context except for Proverbs. Well, I just try never to tell the Bible what it's saying. I really try to to go full context and let the Bible teach me. And um, Romans 9 is a really good case in point. Uh, Romans 3 is a really good case in point because Paul refers to things in the Old Testament. And the Calvinists will not go to the Old Testament and see the reference. Uh, um, none is righteous. No, not one. <laughs> well, that is talking about nations. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, was David talking about himself? (laughs) So in the debate, he tries all sorts of tool moves. I call them tool moves. You know, like a tool is someone who's like just a jerk or just ridiculous. You call them tools. And so I think it actually is a tool. Uh, One of the things he does is he asks you these like loaded questions. Like, do you agree with Jesus that Calvinism is true? (laughs) It's like, he phrases it, "Do you agree with Jesus?" and then he puts his own meaning into it, and it's like, "What are you doing, dude?" And you, tr- you, what you did is you tried to build a parallel, saying, "You know, normal reading comprehension allows this verse to be taken in a different way." And you use the Ford Motor Company example, when uh, you know people are doing the will of Ford, but that's not Ford doing it. So Netflix right. says. Do you agree with Jesus that this is the Father's will? And he said, well, you know, in, in the Ford Motor Company example, all those employees, they're doing Ford's will by making those cars. That's that's not, you know, that's his work. That's that's the Ford Motor Company work, and they're doing it. He's not doing it himself, and that was an example. And Matt Flick, he tried to cut you off. He tried to not allow you to just give a, a natural parallel that makes sense and that explains the text in a non-calvinistic manner. And then his follow-up oh, question, his very next follow-up question is a question that assumes you answered completely different than you did.
1: Well, the people had asked Jesus, "What is it so that we can do the works of God?" Now they were looking at works of God to be like the miraculous things. What if, what do we need so that we can heal people? What do we need so we can raise the dead and we can do miracles and, and things like that? So they were not viewing works of God as something God uh, does through them. And Jesus put it very simply. The work of God is just for you to simply believe on the one that God sent. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all you have to do. You just have to believe on it. He was answering their question, what do we need to do? And Jesus said, you need to do the believing. It wasn't, it wasn't God uh, saying that God's going to do it.
0: So while we're on the subject, kind of going over some of these verses in John 6, do you get, want to give the audience an overview of John 6, what's happening in this chapter, who's saying what, and to what effect are they saying it?
1: Well, uh, John 6 uh, is one of the times where Jesus Set a multitude. Um, then they, then uh, he and the disciples went away to the other side of the lake. And Calvinists don't normally touch in that part because, again, they look for something in between the numbers. Uh, if they can find it uh, between John 6:37, John 6:38, well, that verse, that individual verse <laughs> is their Lego block, and they don't they don't have any Lego blocks up in the top part of the chapter. So they go to the second part of the chapter, and uh, what they do is they this part, Jesus was uh, was identifying the ones that the Father gave to him. He was uh, narrowing it down to a specific group in a specific time in a specific place. Calvinists, with absolutely no biblical reasoning or permission, expand this to include people of today even. Well, Jesus explains how we can identify the ones the Father gives him. Well, the first one is in uh, verse 37, where it says, the ones the Father gives me, come to me, and I will not, and, and King James says, I will not cast them out, but uh, in more modern reading, it would say, I will not send them away. Mm-hmm. Now he says this to the multitude of people that came looking for him. And, and he told the people, you didn't come looking for me, you came looking for another free meal. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, you're not the ones the Father gave to me, because... That group of people, I'm not going to send them away. And then he proceeds to talk about what they think is cannibalism, and through his words, he sends them away. And he turns to the, at this point, he had 70 or 72, somewhere in that area, disciples, that he had previously sent them out two by two. And at this point, he's going to send away, by the same method, all but the 12, and one who he identifies as, as being uh the one that will betray him, not a believer. Um, so he is chosen for another unique position. That again, we cannot extrapolate that and, and apply that to people today. Judas had a unique role in all of humankind. It doesn't apply to anyone else, and there's not going to be another Judas. That's that's just it. Jesus isn't going to come as a sacrifice again. Therefore, there will not be another betrayer again. People kind of don't want to understand that there are unique positions. There's only one Adam and one Eve. There's only one Jesus. Um, so anyway, he sends the uh, rest of the balance of the 70 away, and he's left with just these 12. And the ones the Father gives me is not talking about salvation, but Calvinism pretends that it is. And that's mm-hmm. uh part of the problem in there, and that's why I wanted to debate John 6, to destroy the Calvinistic view that the ones the Father gives me is talking about
0: salvation. Yeah, it seems that that's what they want to do. Anytime, like the Bible says, that someone's chosen or elect, it's all about salvation. And, and then they ignore verses where, like, the elect die in mass in the wilderness. Because Israel, my elect, died in unbelief in the wilderness. So what were they elect for? It wasn't salvation. And then... uh I think what is really funny is Jesus explains election through the parable of the feast. That's what he means by elect. And elect is all these people are called to the feast, and then people choose not to come. And so then other people Mm -hmm. are invited, and those people might not conform. Either they don't come or they don't conform, and then they're cast out. But all those people are elect, even though they might be cast out. So they they want to try to force everything to be about like individual specific salvation and people being chosen for heaven and it's just really odd to me how they kind of just force those into the verses, as if here here's my phrase that I like using as if Jesus is giving an impromptu metaphysics lesson. <laughs> you know?
1: Well, I, I, I had to stifle a laugh so so it won't uh, go over what you were talking there, but that exact thing. Many are called and few are chosen. They like to say that many are called and few are chosen. few are chosen. okay, Read that parable, okay, and in that parable, the elect ones, the chosen ones are the ones that chose not to come, <laughs> and the called ones were the people in the street. Go out there and bring them in. Mm-hmm. so I mean it's a, <laughs> when they want to talk about elect, they're back in the wrong horse in that race <laughs> because the elect there are. So simply not going to be the ones that are at the feast. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's funny, is because elect is only used in the Bible as a noun a few times. Old Testament, New Testament, translated into English. And when it's used as an adjective, the Calvinists like to pretend that that's a noun, the elect lady. Well, that tells you what kind of a lady is. But when it says God's elect, that's used as a noun there. And it is talking about a certain group of people. And the elect are the Jews. Mm-hmm. Now, you may disagree with this. I'm just putting forth, you know, the doctrine that I personally hold. The elect are the Jews.
0: Yeah, I think it, you it,
1: know. It, it starts off, and you can even go to Romans 11. It says, they are enemies of the gospel. Okay, I would put that under the unsaved category. Enemies of the gospel for your sake. But according to election... They are Beloved of the Father.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: You know, the the unsaved Jews are still elect. Because they are what? They are the nation of Israel. That was what was elected, Esau and Jacob. It was for electing the establishment of the nation of Israel. So they are still Jews. Jews and Gentiles are called Jews and Gentiles throughout the entire New Testament. This spiritual Israel idea, this replacement mm-hmm. theology, which I don't say that all Calvinists hold, but I, I think that quite a few do. Um, and I may be wrong. Maybe they mostly do. But, um, you know, there's no such thing. The, the Jews are believing Jews, and the Gentiles are believing Gentiles, but they still remain Gentiles and Jews. It's just that in Christ there's only a common salvation.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's funny in the debate. You point this out to Matt Slick. You say, Jesus only came for the Jews. And in this passage, John 6, he's talking to the Jews, And it's contextual to the nation of Israel. And does he have a response? He didn't have a response. He didn't respond to that point.
1: Well, no, he just said, well, I'm glad you understand who he was talking to. (laughs) Very condescending.
0: Oh, man, it's just my wife was sitting here listening to the clips from that. She just stood next to me, and I was like, okay, listen to this part. And she's like, this Matt Slick guy, he's just so full of himself. And so... She could just see through all his little crafty little things he's trying to do and his condescensions. And you say at one point, you're like, stop condescending to me. And that is just calling him to task. And so if, if the audience, if the audience doesn't think that what you're doing was a good way to handle it, just, just try to imagine an alternative scenario in which you were passive and you said, okay, well, I'll, I'll conform to how you want me to talk and, and I'll treat you with all this respect that you don't have any reciprocal respect. How would the debate have turned out? Matt Slick would post that debate to the world's end saying that he won just because the tone of the debate would be just against you. Does that make sense?
1: Well, you can listen to uh, Leighton Flowers on Bible Something we met with speaking with Matt Slick. And uh, I, I praise Leighton Flowers for being this very patient, very kind, very meek and mild guy, totally different tact than what I took. And I told Matt Flick, I said, uh, well, I praise God for people like Layton Flowers because
0: mm-hmm. he shows you to be a bully.
1: But I'm a different kind of animal, and my job's something different. I'm just going to show you to be an idiot.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, I think there is a place for that. Especially these these Calvinists who are prideful. No one's ever stood up to them before. And they think they're so biblical, but they can't answer basic contextual questions about the text, their proof text. And when he was arguing with you, Matt Slick, it was almost as he's never encountered your view before in his life. He's arguing as it's if it was, it was all new to him.
1: It's not an original view. I didn't invent a new doctrine.
0: Yeah. That, that's, that's why it's like, that's incredible. He's, Matt Flick's misunderstanding your view. He, 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 he's not showing you the graciousness to even just understand what you're trying to say. And it's not like this is something new to you. It's something that should be pretty common among standard Arminian arguments. And he's treating it as if he's never heard of it before. And it's totally unreasonable. And he just doesn't understand your argument.
1: And he's using that as a fallacious stepping stone. Seeing how it's new, it's automatically heresy. If it's something that you are just inventing on your own, then the history of the church is absent your view. Um, You're just trying to be a a modern-day false prophet. And and whatever other thoughts go with that. But it is, again, it's wholly dishonest. Mm -hmm. On Facebook, Matt likes to try to machine-gun verses at people. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's what he does. He just puts it in there. And I've I've found a code that the Calvinists do. First, they'll go to the Greek. Unless the Greek doesn't help them in <laughs> even in isolation of a verse, then they'll go with the English. And Matt Slick does something even different, but it's the same sort of thing. What he will do is he will cite the verse, quote it, or at least a portion thereof unless the quotation doesn't help him, then he gives you his explanation of what you should read it and think that it says. Yeah. So he does that on both of those things. And again, it's it's almost universally context-free. Well, I, I did a study, like I said, I, I started reading the Bible without chapters and verses. And I, I just did topical searches. And what I did is I found that the language of uh, John and here's something, Matt Flick, uh, he was very uh, crafty when I said, if the same writer in the same book uses the same terminology over and over, he means the same thing. And he said, "Well, oh, you're wrong. He can mean something else. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wasn't talking about an absolute he must mean the same thing. I'm talking a general rule that I'm not saying that it's 100% of the time. Yes, he can. But see, he wanted to take the he can mean something else as to saying the general rule no longer exists because it's not convenient to him. However, if it was convenient to him, he would echo exactly what the rule that I said came from James White's mouth. James White says this is the way that you read things. If the same author in the same writing uses the same terminology, he means the same thing. That's your starting point, that Mm -hmm. he means the same thing. You have to go in and find out if he possibly means something different, but your starting point is he does mean the same thing. So I did an exhaustive search talking about where Jesus' words of the ones that the Father gave me. And it starts in John six. It's also in John seven, in, um, excuse me, John 10, John 17, and in John 18. That's the exhaustive list of where that is found. And the best definition is in John 17, in what I don't know who named it, the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. That's James White's favorite (laughs) saying of that. um, He says, I am no longer in the world, but when I was in the world, I protected the ones that you gave me. And these are the ones that I'm praying for right now. Okay, now, if every believer in the world is the ones that the Father gave Jesus, then in 1720, who's this other group? I don't pray for them, the ones that you gave me, only, but I pray for those who will believe on me through their testimony. Well, wait. Their means it's a different group. Their their testimony is the testimony of the ones the Father gave me. And here's a group that will believe on me that's not that group. So Jesus separates believers... That, that would include us today, from the ones the Father gave him, which are the eleven. Mm-hmm. And Jesus also said, in I believe it was in John 10, he says that uh, my sheep that my Father gave me, they follow me, but I have other sheep of another fold that I must bring together so that they'll become one fold. So once again, Jesus separates this little fold that the Father gave him from all the other people that are going to believe. So that's echoed in John 17. And the reason that this is not talking about salvation is because in John 18, uh, Jesus says, who are you looking for? Jesus. Well, I already told you on him. And then John says, he said this because Mm
0: -hmm. he was
1: fulfilling the words that he himself spoke of the ones you gave me, I've lost none. Well, where did Jesus say that? Where is it recorded? It's recorded in John 6. And the protecting them, the, the keeping them from being lost, was the arrest that Jesus suffered. Hey, you got me, let them go. And that's the completion, that's the fulfillment of the not losing any. Yes, How is the, that salvation?
0: So John seventeen twelve. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So I think it's funny here that... Jesus says, "Yeah, there is one exception, though. You know, you know, I did mission complete. Your will was I didn't lose any, and I did that. Uh, but there is an exception, this one person. You know, and it's you could still say mission complete because this person was set out for something different. But it's not in a Calvinist sense that Jesus has to guard everyone infallibly, where no one could turn away and it's immutable that they're saved. He's saying mission complete." I successfully did what you wanted, and there was a chance that it didn't have to happen like that.
1: And, and well, that is also, um, that is an echo of, again, John 6, where he says, well, you go away, and Simon Peter said, where should we go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. And Jesus said, have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? Mm-hmm. So we see right there that although you could say he was given just because he's part of the group there, but he is not one of the uh, ones that is an apostle that uh, ever brings doctrine. We can go to the revelation of St. John, same guy again, where it talks about the 12 foundations, which are the 12 apostles. Mm-hmm. You know, although in Acts, Peter tries to help God, give him a helping hand by, well, well let's fulfill that prophecy right now and draw straws and, yay, Matthias. Yeah. Well, apart from there, you never hear from Matthias. Um, it was, it was Paul that picked up that bishopric because Jesus personally appeared to him. So we, we see that, uh, the confirmation that it's these, tw- that these eleven, not including Judas, is, is, uh, confirmed elsewhere in the Bible as well. Um, but again, when I asked Matt, and he lied, he just plain out and out lied, is it not only three times in the Bible that the ones you gave me I will lose none? Oh, I, I don't know that it's only three times in the Bible. He's a liar. You're a liar, Matt Slick. <laughs> yeah, You've got a master's degree. You know it's in there only three times.
0: Yeah, he could have just said, oh, I haven't studied it. I'll assume what you say is true. And, uh you know, he could have been, like, gracious about it, but he's like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: okay, so now he admits, number one, he heard me. Number two, mm-hmm. he repeated me. Number three, he's got a transcript in front of his face to refer back to. And yet he misrepresented everything i said every chance he opened his mouth and talked about things i said
0: every time he, he
1: didn't he, every time yeah. i do not believe that he represented any single point that i made as i made it
0: i agree with you said, every single time i mean if here's what i like to do in debate sometime it's like when you get a chance to ask a question you say can you tell me what my argument is because if they can't repeat to you your own argument they're not tracking
1: well, I threw in it when, when it was my turn to ask him questions, and I knew he was gonna do it. And I, I, I messed up by not writing out some things, and, and I mean, I'm pretty good in an argument of, of penning people in, but I mean, he's slick. You know, <laughs> and he's so practiced at sneaking out of questions and stuff, and, and honestly, just to burn up my time, just to try to make himself look superior, make me look like a fool, that, uh, I just threw in a question there. I asked him if he could explain the verse in John 18, and then I read it. Now that's a, that's that is. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a a check line or um, in machinery they'll they'll have like a check hole or something like that. So mm-hmm. so you can take a pressed part, and if it doesn't, if the pins don't go through these holes, then the stamping was messed up somehow, and they have to go back and figure it out. Well, the check was that I just asked him to give his view of the verse. I didn't give any opinion on it. I didn't give a view. I didn't. I just simply asked him, can you explain your view of this verse? Well, I don't know what you mean by fulfilled. <laughs> yes. Are you talking about an Old Testament prophet? I wasn't talking about anything. I was asking if you could explain a verse. And that proved right there that he didn't care what was said, he was going to do everything in his power to not answer anything that was given to him. And because that, that right there, there was nothing attached to me. It was just all, oh, please explain this. I don't know what you mean. I mean, please explain it.
0: <laughs> all right. So we are about out of time.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Uh, hopefully we could get back together and talk about uh, maybe Calvinism or, or your issues with open theism at some other time. Thank you for joining me today. If anyone has any questions or comments on this podcast, feel free to put that on the God is Open webpage or start a thread on our God is Open Facebook companion page. Thank you for listening.